This podcast is made possible with support from Sonics, makers of award-winning plugins like the Oxford Drumgate, Inflator, Oxford EQ, Claro, and Listen Hub, the audio control toolbox that places essential referencing and monitoring solutions at your fingertips. Learn more at sonics.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. Grammy Award-winning songwriter and musician Aoife O'Donovan has released three critically acclaimed solo albums, is co-founder of the bands I'm With Her and Crooked Still, and has spent a decade contributing to the radio variety shows Live From Here and A Prairie Home Companion. Her new album, Age of Apathy, was produced from a distance by Joe Henry during the pandemic lockdown but you'd never know it from the incredibly cohesive sound and in-the-room energy of the recordings. Jeff Stanfield caught up with Aoife to chat on the eve of the record's release. Enjoy. Pick the starling up and bring the bird inside Fashion her a bit of needles in Congratulations on the release of this record, Age of Apathy, because I guess that comes out tomorrow. It comes out tomorrow. Thank you so much, Jeff. I love this record. I mean, just like on a purely personal level, it's just soaring and cinematic and just um, ironically, it feels so cohesive in the sense of the playing and the vibe. But then I've been reading the credits and I'm like, oh, this record was completely made during the time of COVID in isolation where everyone recorded themselves. Um, that was actually a surprise to me. And 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 also just like a congratulations to everyone that worked on it on making it so incredibly cohesive. So tell me about the workflow of making this record. It was a, a pretty crazy process uh, in that I... You know, I'm sure you've read in the press release. I was I was living in New York, and then we kind of came down to Florida six months in, and um, I had more space, more time, more sunlight, and was very uh, creatively inspired, and kind of got everything flowing, so to speak. And uh, simultaneously, was introduced to uh, a friend and collaborator, Darren Schneider, at Full Sail University, and we just kind of started diving into the recording process pretty pretty early on in the writing process. It was the first time I've ever started demoing songs before I had a whole batch of songs written. And I think that that, that affected the outcome pretty dramatically. So tell me about, so you have this, you have a band on this record. Um, and I know traditionally, you know, most people, at least most of us have made records who at least have a few of us in the room together. And then maybe we send it out now because it's easy to do with home studios and Pro Tools and all the stuff. But that's not what happened here. It doesn't seem like. So can you tell me about how how that all worked with you? Like what what was the seed? Did you guys do a rough sort of start with the song, like a guitar and a vocal, and then then what happened? So yeah, that's exactly how it was. I would go in and, and record what I thought at the time were just really gonna be demos. I, I wasn't sure if eventually when I had the you know, 13, 14 songs done that we would start with maybe drums, or I just kind of had no idea how it would come up. I mean, how it would, how it would build up, I should say. 
But as I started working on these demos and was sending them to Joe Henry, it became clear that maybe they were a little bit more than demos. We were putting a lot of time into recording them. It was more time than you would probably put into just making a demo of a tune to see how it sounded. We were layering stuff. We were getting really good sounds. I mean, Darren is a, a total wizard in, in getting sounds, and we were putting electric guitars, uh, acoustic guitars, uh, sometimes keyboards, sometimes piano, and harmony vocals. And we were kind of like making a track, essentially, that we would be using as a demo. But what we ended up doing was sort of stripping them back to the essentials of the demo. I would recut the vocal to get a, a final vocal. And then we would send those tracks, guitar, like my tracks, guitars, often a couple of guitars, and then vocal and sometimes keys to first to Jay Bellarose on drums. And then he would send that back. He was recording at home with his partner, Jen Kondos was recording him. Uh, he would send them back to us. Darren would mix them in. I would show up at the studio. We would check out what Jay did. And once that got the green light and all those parts were sort of organized, we would send it to the bass player, David Pilch. And same, he would, you know, send Joe an idea via voice memo. And then Joe would say, yes, go for it. And then Pilch would send Darren his tracks. It was like, it was a very scattershot situation, but it was also, it, it just ended up sounding super cohesive. I think because a lot of the musicians, Jay and Pilch had played together a ton. And I don't know, for some reason it just, it just worked. And it, and it ended up feeling like these were real contributions, real musical contributions from these guys who, who I hadn't played this music with, who I had never really played with. I played with Jay in, uh, you know, in another context that both as side people for Zarbarellas, but that's it. Uh, Darren did a great job on really tying it all together because I think that the the issue in making a record remotely with multiple studios is that you do potentially have conflicting environment tones. I mean, that's just the way it is. And they could both be great tones. <laughs> they could both be great rooms, but they might not be the same. Uh, so I think that that was one element of it that I thought was really interesting was just how cohesive everything felt. Uh, so that was one thing. And then and then the the question I had was Joe Henry produced this record. I love his work. Um, but tell me how he produced this record from afar. He and like what was he know? Joe is such a great guy. He has so much wisdom in his like pinky finger. It's uh, it's I don't know. He's he's amazing. He produced it from afar in his, I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy to not make a record with Joe. She make a record with Joe producing and not be in the same room as him because I think what what draws people to Joe, what draws people to wanting to work with Joe is the fact that he you want to be in his presence. You want to be hanging with him. You want him in the control room saying, go, that was a great take, or let's try this again because his energy is that. It's positive, but it's musical and it's it's lyrical. It's, it's It has so much depth. So doing this record remotely with him was a totally different experience but he had just made his own solo record in this exact way, uh, which is not out yet. But but he he was sort of no stranger to the concept of recording tracks and having people send him stuff back. And he had just also relocated from the West Coast to the East Coast. So we were kind of both dealing with a, a newness in our own surroundings and just connecting on that. And, and we were speaking by the phone several times, uh, you know, a week, sometimes several times a day during the recording process and emailing each other and texting. And he would zoom into mixing sessions. And as we were kind of getting new tracks, we would check in, put them up on this computer screen above the control room and play him stuff. It was like, it was really, it did feel, I mean, like, like anything in the last two years, it starts to feel normal after a while. You're like, all right, this yeah. is how we're doing it. Da, 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 da. Like, 
off we go. I remember like one of the funniest things about making this record was that I literally didn't see Darren's mouth or nose for like eight months. Like I'm not joking. Like I never saw him even like take a drink of water. <laughs> sort of like, I remember when the first time like we had, he think he got a vaccine before I did and he like took it off and I was like, Oh my God, like that's what you yeah. look like. Cool. It's so funny, right? That, I mean, I, I had that experience with, with people uh, over the last couple of years and you actually see their face and you're like, oh, and it's and it, it's often not what you thought they looked like. I know. It's yeah. really, really weird how like we sort of have this idea of what somebody looks like under their mask. And then it's like, I don't know. So just that, that was a totally surreal um, kind of part of it. But, but it was, uh, working with Joe was, was just the best. Had you worked with him before? We had worked together as both as singers on a project that we did with the Cincinnati Pops that was recorded on a record called American Originals, and it was the songs of Stephen Foster with orchestra. And that's actually where we met. It was like in 2015 or 2014. 2014, I think is when it was. And we became friends and, and really hit it off. And um, I just remember him singing with his swagger with orchestra and Roseanne Cash was there. It was just, it was a very cool, cool experience. And that's when we became friends and then we would run into each other at festivals or I saw him several times in LA and, and uh, I've always really enjoyed his company. And I'm, I'm so glad that we got to make this record and I hope that we get to work together again. Yeah, I think that that probably makes a difference too if you know somebody and then you're working in this way um, because it's such a personal and intimate um, experience to make a record and if you don't know the cues i mean that's the whole deal with a somebody that's sort of steering the ship and you know you know the buck stops here kind of stuff is that you want to trust them and you want to understand you know, know their personality and so i think that's oh yeah that's so important i think it would be really tough to make a record with somebody that you hadn't hung out with in a one you know in a in a real life situation other than of course you know yeah. yeah, I think I, I think the exact same. I mean, even though we hadn't made a record together, we did have this connection. So we were able we weren't starting from scratch. I think you're totally right. Had I just called up a producer that I'd never met before and we were like trying to vibe over the, it, that would have been really, really hard. Yeah. Had you ever made a record like this before? No, but I mean, like, as you say, even pre pandemic, you were you could send something to somebody to lay on a pedal steel part or a the harmony vocal. So it's like, I mean, I've never made a record without being in the same room as other musicians. Um, and I've never, I think also because I've never even thought of myself as, I, I, I would have never put myself in that position to be like, all right, I'm going to give you the bass tracks. Like I, I would always be like, no, I, somebody else should do that. So I'm just the singer. Yeah. So it was um, definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to to deliver like a really solid base. But I, I think that it, that it worked. And I think that I was able to rise to the challenge and, and, and I'm, I'm proud of myself for that because it was, it was a lot of time and a lot of woodshedding. I think that I did during the pandemic on my own music and guitar playing. And I feel like I was able to gain a solidity that I think would have been lacking had I attempted this in a different point. Yeah. Um, on your collaborators, I mean, what goes into your choices for that? Because, you know, there's a lot of great players uh, that are fantastic musicians and everything, but they may not be the right people for the job. And I always am so careful when I'm making a record and who I think would be the right man or woman for the job. And so that it it makes the job easier, right? Because you, right. you get it back and you're not only get what you expected, but you it's more, it's like more magic than you imagine because you have, um, 
you know, some sort of understanding. Um, so how, how did the choices in players uh, happen? And was that you or was that Joe? or both for this for this record it was uh 100 joe and i think that um what you said is like getting getting stuff back and it not being and it being what you expected i think for me it was kind of the opposite i i was i wasn't sure what to expect because they, these were all people who i had never played with before and um that was scary but ultimately uh, the the absolute best thing that could have happened for this music because I don't know. There's just something about letting go and, and saying, okay, like I, I hired Joe to produce the record. He thinks it should be these people. I, I know I've listened to them on recordings and I think they're great. Obviously I would, if he had said like, let's hire somebody. And I said, no, I don't like that person's music. I would not have hired them. Obviously like I'm a fan of everybody who played on the record, but, um, but it was unexpected. And I think that was one of the coolest things about, I remember getting Alison Russell's tracks back for the three songs she sings on. And she's, I, I've loved her singing for years, but I've never sung with her and I've never you know, worked with her in any context. And when we got her, her stuff back, it, it took me, like I had to just calibrate myself to say, oh my gosh, like this is incredible. This is not what I expected. This is not what I would have said to somebody to do, but that actually makes it a million times better and feels way more collaborative in a way that, I think like once you when you can sort of actually hire a musician and let them actually do what they are naturally going to do, it just is it just changes the finished product in a way that I think really connects with people. People have really responded to to all of the yeah all of the different elements on the record so far, especially the singing of Allison and Maddie Russell. I mean, sorry, Allison Russell and Maddie Cunningham, because they're just they're just being themselves, and it's in the context of my record, and it's it's so cool. There's a tune I would love to talk about it at some point in our conversation, but um, when I heard the vocals on it, not not only just actual like background vocal parts that I thought were interesting, but there's on on uh, elevators there's some almost like horse noises or something going on that's like vocally. That's that actually that's actually clarinets. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. Oh. It's wow. really it's it's totally like it's that's Levon Henry and you know what there's like a typo in the um in the credits and for some reason like his name didn't make it onto that song which is a typo <laughs> and I'm, uh. we're working on uh, rectifying that for the next pressing but his yeah those sort of bizarre noises birds or horses are coming like, oh, yeah. like it's or almost sounds like a donkey yeah um that was the last the last piece of the record was that exact thing or those noises on that song. And I remember saying to Joe, like, I really think this song is done. I don't think it needs anything else. And then Levon sent that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my favorite thing on the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. Right. And like, of course you wouldn't think you, that's not something that would have come out of your head, you know? So let, let's talk about some of the, some of the songs on the record. Um, if, if that's okay with you, um, yes, please and just go down. I, I wish we could share this whole record and we could spend the next hour and a half talking about every individual song, because I think that they make up this beautiful quilt. So sister Starling, I, I knew that I was in for something different was the, all the reeds and the, and the woodwinds. It really just sucked me into what was to, to follow. And I love this tune. So can you, can you tell me a little bit about the, about that one? Yeah, that, that song, um, I'm so glad that we opened the record with that because I do feel like in many ways, it's sort of the, I don't know, the beginning of the saga in, in, a, in a sense of, um, you know, the, the person singing me in, in this case, is it's just about sort of finding, finding a, a rescuing an animal, a rescuing a wounded animal and, and sort of the metaphor, that, that being a metaphor for 
almost where we are as a as a culture, like the the need to rescue, the need to to save, but also the the fact that sometimes when we do that, the person who we're trying to save does not want to be saved and and just wants to step away and fly away, and and you just kind of spend how, however much more of your time looking for them, and ultimately at the end of the song, and I really love how the end of the song turned out sonically with the bass and the drums, but you you know. The, they're, they apologize. They're just saying, I'm sorry. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's sort of what I was kind of trying to say in that song. And it is very repetitive. It has, you know, and I think a lot, I don't, I don't usually go for that in my songs. I don't usually go for like a, just a two chord song. I feel like most of, most of the time I'm like, all right, how can I make this cooler? How can I put in another chord? But there was something about writing the song. I wrote it in drop C on the guitar and it's, um, and it's capoed pretty high. And it kind of has this like real ringy sort of, vibe that was just kind of making me feel trancy when I was writing it and it kind of set the scene in my mind for just this sort of like this these real uh, going through the motions of, of finding something and picking it up and bringing it inside and putting it in a box and, and it's almost like the childlike wonder of thinking that you as a six-year-old can nurse a baby bird back to health and that somehow it you know it won't fly away on you when it can. take on such a I mean it's not non-traditional but it's so it's it's not necessarily genre appropriate in terms of the orchestralness of and arrangements of the song I think that they're they're so they're they're almost through composed in a way not not just the the compositions the songs but the way that they're presented is so interesting and 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 it's you know man there's so much music in the world it's so nice to have something that's makes me sit down and stop and actually listen and 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 enjoy it and and be uh you know looking forward to what what is next i think that's a real that's a real gift you know um that you give the listener um in a time when that's not what's necessarily happening with music you know yeah i think it's i mean I, I'm always so excited when I find a record that does that for me. And I think that this this fall, I had a couple of records like that, like um, the, the new record from this great singer-songwriter, Maddie Diaz. I don't know if you've heard that, but it's uh, 
I kind of had that experience where I put it on and I kept on just being like, God, every, I like every song. Every song is great. Everything she's saying is like getting me and making me want to listen to it again and again and again. And each time I listened to it, I found something new. And, and I, I think that as a songwriter and as somebody who, you know, has made a lot of records and will continue to make records, that is the goal is that you, you're creating something in, in its entirety that you want people to listen to. I think that we're living in an age of singles and like, what's the next track? And no, 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 like, how can we get this on the radio? Or how can we get this a viral video or whatever the fuck? But it's like, I, you, you can't go for that. Like, I, I just feel like you can't go for that. You have to go for the truth of what, what it is that you're trying to say and, and hope that that will be the most, I don't know, rewarding for you and the person listening. Yeah, well, it worked. Um, how about Phoenix? It just feels like you're sort of jumping off a cliff, you know, and it really captured the feeling of that. And it's like, feels like running in a grass field or something, you know, just like there's just there's a lot of motion in the song and and beauty and sort of this uplifting, like being free of your material body in a way. Yeah. I have no idea if that's what, what the intent was, but. Well, in some ways it's that it's being free of the, your material body in the sense that being free of your, of self doubt and being free of the constraints of feeling like you're, you, you don't have it anymore. You don't, you, you can't feel things anymore. You're not creative anymore. You're not, you don't have that newness anymore. And I think a lot of the record kind of has that underlying theme of sort of trying to get back to the newness or the feeling, like the feeling in your hands where, you, where you're just you're tingling all over and you're excited about something or the feeling you get when you write a new song or you, you create something or you have a great show. And Phoenix is sort of about, for me, I spent the first six months of the pandemic feeling uh, so creatively dead. I think like, like many people did and just feeling utterly hopeless. And all of my creative energy was going to things that, I mean, to like parenting or to, uh, a new recipe or just, you know, it's like whatever bullshit was happening. Like it just wasn't writing music or making music in a way that felt really uh, cathartic in any way. And then I remember writing Phoenix and, and starting it and, and finishing it and working on it and feeling like literally feeling like finishing that song was me rising out of the ashes of everything that had come before it. And it was it's the first time I've ever written a song like that and had that experience where, where like it, it I don't, I don't think of myself as somebody who uses songwriting to process emotions, but that this is, this was that for me.
Age of Apathy, because this one, this one is interesting because it has this really throaty electric guitar, which I'm just guessing is like a Dan Electro or something. You know, it just sounds like this real woody, just and it and it has like the ghost of Ricky Lee Jones somehow in it. You oh, know? awesome! I love that. This is such a compliment. <laughs> Again, like a lot of the tracks on this record, you really managed to paint pictures with sound. It feels abstract. It feels like colors dropping into water and spreading and you know, it's just very, you know, evocative. Well, that's uh, thank you so much. And I feel like that's I mean, even with the lyrics, what I was kind of trying to say, like the, the in, in the chorus, like we came for New England's party, but the colors haven't started. Like just sort of the idea that there there can be color without just being able to see color in in even when it's not there. And I think that, that song um, that electric guitar, I don't even, I actually don't remember what guitar that is. That was one of the ones that we made a demo and I really thought we would fix, like do a different guitar part because it was, it felt very rudimentary and it was a little bit out of tune. And then it's just like, we tried to redo it and it just never had the vibe that that original one did. Yeah. So we, so we left it in cause it's, you're right. It has this like real energy and sound and it's so, I don't know. It's just like, it immediately creates this mood when you hear it when the, yeah. in the opening of the track. Um, and the, Darren was great. That that was one of the cool things about Full Sail is he has all these electric guitars there. And one of the times, a couple of songs on the record, I'm playing this guitar that, um, do you know the, the heavy metal band Trivium? Have you heard of Trivium? Oh yeah. They're like a huge heavy metal band. They're from Orlando. And the guy, Matt Hafey, the lead singer has like his own model of guitar that's there that I played on a couple of songs. Like I played like a metal guitar on this record, <laughs> which is which is really funny to me. Yeah, you got. Do you have any pictures of that? I do. I do. It's um. It's. Yeah. It, I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, it, it must see. <laughs> That's hilarious, um, and completely incongruous with the entire thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm still get to the point of elevators on the record i mean this is the first sort of like slight like turn in the road to me it bent yes. the road turns you know um i don't really know a better way to put it. it it's it's a 
bit of a different chord progression. It's a bit of a different, just the whole feeling of the record. It's not, you know, it's not so different that it doesn't fit, but we definitely make a little bit of a left turn at this point. Yeah, this right, this song, um, it, it, it's, it's also like a turning point in the, the narrative for sure in that it's, I'm kind of like, I'm out there. It's, it's, it, it, there's a lot of tension in the song. And I think there's a lot of tension that comes from the rhythm of the song. I initially wrote the song in five and then I straightened it out to six. Um, but I think you can, you can definitely, if you know that and then you hear it back, you'll be like, oh, that makes total sense because a lot of the, the way I'm singing it and a lot of the guitar parts are actually kind of still in five, but over six. So it gives it this like slightly um, unsettled feeling, which is also the feeling that the lyric has where, where you're sort of wondering what's what and what's happening and who is that? Is that me? Is that somebody else? Is that somebody who, who was me in a, in, at a different time or what's happening and, and where where am I? Like what, and I think that that's as a touring musician, you end up in that situation a lot where you're sort of, you, you yearn for this wild routine of your life on the road, even though there's nothing routine about it. The only thing that's routine about it is the, the lack of routine. You look out the window, you're like, is that the Starbucks that I stopped at in 2006, that time when we were driving up Highway 1 in Crescent, what? Like you, you're sort of, and everything kind of, I just, I feel like I've had this experience even recently where you're driving from like Chicago to Bloomington, Indiana. And, and you remember like, for some reason you, you have always stopped at the same tiny gas station that doesn't even have a bathroom and you forget every time, like just these weird tourisms that, 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 um, I mean like tour dash isms, not tourism, um, that anybody who's been on tour for their life, like will just relate to. And that, that's kind of like where I'm going with that. And, and sort of like the yearning for your your lost youth of like of drinking whiskey all night being in a broken elevator singing songs at the top of your lungs and and then waking up and being like where am i what just happened looking out the window feels like i've been here before the shady patch of green behind the big box store round another corner past the swinging light in the back of the cutlass here one night in america america i'm just pulling out my hair trying to move where i in america i swear i saw running for the back door
Yeah, when you guys, when you put a record to get your writing, I, I know you said you sort of wrote this as you went, which is um, cool. Uh, how do you finish the idea of a record? There's a lot of different themes, and there's a lot of different narratives happening um, on these songs. They're tied together, obviously, with the Sonics and the players, but they do tell a story. You know, the record tells a story. You're still making records. You're not. We just talked about making, you know, the age of singles and 30-second TikToks and stuff, oh, which I, this is not. No, this is not. And also, I'm too old for TikTok. I feel like that's... Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I, I was like, I, I'll jump on every bandwagon, but that's one that I just can't jump on. I'm just like, it's like, I, I'm not for people over 35. Like, I, what is okay. the cutoff? But it's... 35? Man, that seems old for 25? TikTok. I feel I like know. it's like 21. I think my daughter, who's 17, is already over TikTok. Okay, all right, good. I, I just didn't want to like make myself seem like too much of a curmudgeon. Um, but yes, that this is a record, and I think that finishing it for me, like getting to to the end of this record, and when we were sequencing it, you know, we had we had songs that didn't make it onto the record, um, just from like a sequencing perspective that we put out before the record came out in the summer of 2021. But when we were sort of whittling it down to these 11 songs, and I just, I, I love, I, I personally like records that are 40 minutes or less. Like I, I, I'm not a huge fan of, I, like I want people to be able to get, to listen to the record and then turn it over and start listening to it again, as opposed to never getting to the last two songs because it's too yeah. long. Yeah. Um, and so I felt really strongly that like 40 minutes was the cutoff. Um, but when we were sequencing it and, and putting it together, I, it did just sort of seem, it kind of made sense. Every, we, we were all in agreement about like what the sequence should be and ending with Passengers just felt so vivid. It felt like the, the, the uh, I wanted to end on a hopeful note, an uplifting note. And I think that the last line of the record is where Passengers and the Road is Long. And it's like, that that's the takeaway that I want people to have. Like, okay, we're as, as in the darkest hour, there, there is, there will still be light. The darkest hour is just before the dawn. Like that's sort of what I was thinking about when I finished that song. Let's talk about another one that is kind of a little bit uh, off the beaten path, but still <laughs> in the world. Uh, Lucky Star, which has this really great abstract verse and then just such a payoff in the chorus, which I love. You know, it's like. Feels more like the poker nose in June. I ran away too soon. I come back, pick me up, be waiting on the door. I do the back of the airplanes like sardines. It's so funny. It's so funny that you got there, that you got that because it, it is. I, I was um I was telling somebody about this the other day. I started writing Lucky Star like just in my head while jogging. Um, and I was it was like early lockdown, like during the pandemic, I think I was wearing like two masks and jogging in Prospect Park and there was nobody. And I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna keep my two masks on and just in case. Remember how we all used to do that. Um, but but I started thinking thinking about, you know, I don't know, just that the first time, like in California, the summer is always cold. And, and, and I had that sort of tritone jump. And then because I was singing it in my head, I didn't realize how like difficult it would actually be to sing live. I think pretty much until I like went into the studio to record it. And I was like, oh, oh, da 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 da
Um, it's super rangy and I had to work a little bit to find the right key. But then when I like that chorus is the payoff because it's like, all right, like let's just take it to a real kind of pop country chorus here. And if I had a little money, I would be somewhere like, you know, that that's, that's just kind of like the, the, the feeling of the song is like, we're all sort of in that same, that same boat of trying to, you know, get out of the grind of being a freelancer a little bit. Like I said, these are the, the whole record. Everyone should just listen to the whole record. It's it's amazing. Thank um, you so much. Um, and I always feel a little self conscious, sort of talking to people about their music because it's sort of a it's sort of dumb to talk about music, right? Like it's just you know, it's to listen to, not to talk about. But there's you know, I I uh, I always try to share at least what I get out of it per, from a personal standpoint as somebody that really loves to listen to music and, and listens to music from a real, you know, production aspect because I make records too. Right. And, and, and we look for, you know, I, I'm inspired by this record as a record maker as much as I am as a listener. Cause I think it's such a, there's not that much happening. There's not like a billion players. There's not a, a ton going on. The, the, the arrangements are, are reasonably sparse and open. And yet it feels there. It's so moving. And I think that that's a great lesson, right? Of course, Joe Henry and you have made a lot of records. So you understand this, but I think it's worth re reiterating that like, it's put together in such a way that is so supportive of the vocals and the lyrics and everyone else is part of this family and has a role in the play, but they do it with such respect for the focus within the lead, the lead character. And, and they play supporting roles in such a meaningful way, not just, you know, not without a point or a purpose. Oh, I, just, I think that that's just, I, I have to just applaud Joe for that because I feel like he, this definitely, especially given the fact that it was all remote, could have gotten out of hand so quickly. Like, I feel like that even, even with like tracks from all the musicians who played on it, but I feel like Joe has this real gentle hold on the reins where he, he's, it's just, it's like so steady that it's sometimes we would get tracks back and I would be like, oh, I kind of wish we had like, I wish that we did have more from Jay or I wish that he had played, like I wish he had given us an option where he played harder or louder. But then as everything became clear and all the parts were there, it just was so apparent that Joe kind of had the vision from the beginning and that these parts were were just perfect. It was exactly as it, as it was meant to be without, without me knowing it. And I, I really, I think that's one of the things that that's really fun about making records when, 
for, for someone like me who like, I am a band leader and I am a bossy and I want to tell people what to do and, and, you know, be the musical director of everything I'm involved in. But it's really nice to sit back when you have so much trust in the people that you're working with and let them do it because that's what, that's why you hired them in the first place. So I think that, um, I'm just so thankful for, to Joe for that and to Darren for, you know, making it possible every step of the way. It was a really, just a wild thing. And, and Full Sail is so cool. Have you ever been to Full Sail or have you, do you know about it? No, no. Oh, I know about it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like a huge audio school, but it's, um, the, the facility there is just really, really cool. And to, I don't know, just, it's funny. Cause now I, I still am going there several times a week and I'm recording other stuff and, um, but there were, there was nobody there last year. So it's like, you know, you'd get to, you'd get to campus and there's like a empty parking lot, the completely empty parking lot. And you go in and you like take your temperature and fill out like a health form and then get a sticker and then you can enter the buildings. And then it's, but like now it's funny cause you, I pull up and I'm like, Oh, there's nowhere for me to park. Like <laughs> This was my studio. Go away. You know, the other thing that's great. And I, that I think it's worth noting is that there's not a lot of symbols on this record. It's so funny that you say that because the drummer who I'm playing with live, um, my old friend and dear friend, Robin McMillan, when he got the record to learn it, we played a couple shows in the fall. He was like, there's not a lot of symbols on this record, but there are some very important yeah. symbol. There are a couple of very crucial symbol moments. It's a great lesson for drummers. I'm more of a Tom's gal myself. Before we go, is, are there any what you know favorites for you that you uh, want to talk about? Well, I think just a really cool moment for me that I'll, that I'll just leave you with is the Town of Mercy, the song that Joe and I wrote together that's on the record. So that song was sort of like a turning point for me and how I kind of, I, everything was sort of made clear after we finished that song. He sent me the lyric, I, I sat down and I, I wrote the music for that song with his words, his beautiful, evocative, cinematic words. And I just played a really simple piano part and a vocal. I think I did two takes and we ended up using the first take. And we sent it to Jay and he wrote, he sent back just like, this was the first song, the very first song that we sent to Jay was Town of Mercy. And when he sent back his parts, it was, it was so minimal and so powerful and talk about earthy. I just felt like I was, I was exactly everything that, that all these words that Joe had written were so descriptive. And I felt like Jay's drumming put me right in that place. And then we sent it to David Pilch. And similarly, the first song, the first thing he's putting notes on is this, this sort of, he comes in on the record, like right after the first chorus, you know, and, and all the mercy, um, ready to be sung. And you hear this, like kind of, he starts high and he goes low. And when I first heard it, I was sort of like, no, that's not, I don't want it to stop. No, that's, that's not how it, he should have done something different. But then I could never get that phrase out of my head. And, and we went back and we we're like, that's how it has to be. Like his instinct was so melodic and so perfect, but it just took me a second to get used to it. And I love that that, like that, that's like really one of my favorite moments on the record is that bass entrance on Town of Mercy. Whereas like just how I felt the first time I heard it because it was so new, all of this was so new. I'd been living with these demos and these sort of seeds of songs. And you know, you kind of get demo-itis. Everybody who's made records definitely knows about that. And um, uh, yeah, I hope people I hope people check out that track. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was great it chatting was with you. Hunted by the river at the only place I could. Fed a fire and watched the smoke like something climbing free. Leaning like a ladder and calling after me. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapebop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time.
Filo dough is just so delicious and so crispy and you can have it in your freezer and then take whatever vegetables and beans are in your house and make a really good dinner. All right. Well, I'm going to set, we'll send that to the Philo dough for endorsement team. Okay. Is it Philo or Philo? All right. Bye. Philo. I don't know. Bye. <laughs>